0: Welcome back to another episode of the Armchair Theologian. Well, I'm back inside and sitting in the good old comfortable armchair, preparing to uh, uh, delve into the final uh, passages in the book of 1 Peter that we've been studying. As you remember, we've been trying to go through this in the basic inductive kind of manner. Um, I know that uh, for my part of the teaching... Um, I haven't uh, been as inductive as I have been more um, uh, preaching, and for that I can only apologize, Uh, but a true inductive Bible study is one that uh, starts off in basically three phases. You have the first phase, as we've talked about in the past, where you... Look at just what it says. You just read the scripture the way it is. Um, don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away. Just read it. And let the word soak into you. Second phase is when you sort of dive in deeper. You start looking at certain things. And uh, like, for instance, repetitive words, words that um, that stand out to you, passages of scripture that were quoted from other parts. Um, try to keep your mind open to, to what I call echoes, echoes from the Old Testament, echoes from other passages in the New Testament, um, what I like about all the books in the Bible is that they're all interconnected. And just like a, a pebble that dropped in a water and the ripples move out progressively to from one shore to the other, starting from that one spot, you oftentimes see those ripples or what I like to call echoes um, from previous passages because many times passages build on each other. And so you look for those. Um, you look for something that we call an idiom. An idiom is uh, simply just a Greek phrase or a phrase in any language really uh that is that may be uh mistranslated or translated in a way that we may not understand in the english Uh, and you also need to have yourself a really good bible a good study bible i would encourage you to find a bible that has uh, a word for word translation Um, as much as many people like the new american or the new international version or the the living version or the new living translation um, all of those uh, translations are more dynamic equivalents. They're not really a word-for-word translation. And so when you're doing these kinds of studies, you really need to have a good word-for-word translation. Uh, the top three that I recommend would be the, the well, four, I should say. King James is always there. Uh, the New King James probably is a better, more modern reading of the, of the original King James. And, and so if you struggle with the these and thous, that's a good uh, step uh, up. Uh, And then you have the New American Standard and the English Standard Version. All of those are incredibly readable uh, and are written for different levels, uh, but all uh, uh, versions that are what I would consider a word-for-word translation. So you get those, a good study Bible with margin notes and uh, and notes along the bottom of, of the page. Uh, will be helpful in your study as you begin to peruse and go through Scripture. So that being said, we're going to finish out our study in First Peter. Um, I'm only going to be dealing with the first few passages of of the end of chapter four. Um, in fact, if uh, you want to turn your Bibles, uh, I would encourage you to turn to the book of First Peter, chapter four. We're going to be in verse twelve i uh, probably going to go through to about verse, uh, well, I might do all the way to the end of the chapter, but I, don't, I doubt we're going we're to dive too deeply in all those verses, just the first few. Um, the goal of this uh, teaching is just to get you started uh, for a study that will hopefully carry you the rest of the week, and maybe even into next week um, as you go through this. I'll also include in the, in the, in the notes underneath the video, um, you'll have uh, qu- uh, some study questions that you can ask yourself or your family and friends as you're gathering around to watch this. So I don't want to spend too much more time going into the basics. Um, I really want to sort of just dive right into this. Peter is writing this book to a dispersed population that is part of the first century church as they were uh, trying to figure out how to live in the new reality of being uh, separated from their church in Jerusalem because many of them were starting to be spread out because of persecution, um, combined with the new Gentile uh, infusion that had come into the church due to the work of Paul and some of the other apostles. And so Peter is wanting to give some basic uh, teaching. And remember, this book is written early on. In the uh, life of the church, it's one of the one of the earliest books we have. Not the earliest, but it's one of the earliest. Um, it was written between the time that James wrote, because he was the first writer in the New Testament, and uh, about two or three of the books that Paul had written, because Peter actually references some of the things that Paul had written as um, as it was passed out um, through the churches, and so there was um, there was that connection that. Peter was trying to make to what not only was being written in the first century with the church, but also with the, the consistent teaching of the Old Testament. And we see that here. And Peter's writing to a group of people who are dealing with the beginning stages of what's going to end up being some serious persecution. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit knew what was coming ahead and knew the church was going to face an incredible amount of opposition to the point where Christians would be, died, would be killed And be sacrificed uh, in the Colosseum, on crosses, burned at stakes, uh, drowned, uh, killed in horrible ways. And so he wanted, the Holy Spirit wanted us to have um, these words of wisdom. But during the writing, during the time that Peter was writing this, the church was not undergoing these kinds of persecutions yet. Um, But there were the signs. And I think Peter um, was not uh, unaware of the future of what the church was going to face. Um, I think he could see the writing on the wall, so to speak, and knew what was happening. So that being said, I'm going to go ahead and turn right to the Scripture. And we're going to begin reading in chapter chapter 4, uh, verse 12. And this study will actually, uh, this week, will actually take you all the way to the end of the book. So throughout chapter 5, which we're not going to get into really at all today. That's really going to be up to you and your reading. So in chapter 4, the book of 1 Peter, starting in verse 12, uh, Peter is changing his uh, tact. He's moving to a different, uh, uh, different uh, topic. He says, Beloved, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of of glory, the Spirit of glory, of glory, and of God rest on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. For it is the time for judgment to begin with, to, uh, is a time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do, do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and in, in the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So I'm just going to stop there. Obviously, it's the end of the chapter, and Peter's going to go on to talk about some other things. Um, But I think it's important that we look at what Peter is saying just in that final section. Now, he's sort of echoing uh, from the beginning of the book. Uh, He is wrapping it up. It's obvious that he's wrapping it up. Uh, He just got finished in the previous verses, starting in verse 7, going to about 11, uh, doing what we would call a doxology. It's just a basic recitation of what we believe. It's, again, that creed model um, that's found very often in the New Testament. And Peter likes that model, so does some of the other apostles as they're writing. Uh, I know James has an element of that. Paul himself has moments where he... Um, uh, waxes poetic and uh, we oftentimes believe that some of the early writings um, of Peter and Paul were Uh, turned into songs for the first century church as they were adding to their songbook uh, um, and doing that. So that's kind of where Peter was coming from. Now he's moving into this new section. He begins it by simply saying, beloved, my beloved, dear friends, one of the interpretations, uh, one of the translations has. um, And then he rolls right into an imperative. It's a negative imperative um, by saying, do not be, right? Do not be surprised. Um, And he gets into that fiery, Testing um, the new American standard uh, says fiery, 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 fiery ordeal, um, and so it's it's kind of a neat uh, word there. the uh, The word in Greek is pyrosis. Um, and it's used in a variety of different places in the New Testament and the Old. It's it's actually found more in the Old Testament than the New. And um, I, I'll probably put some verses up that you guys can look at. That uh, some of the old um, the Old Testament background would be in Proverbs chapter twenty seven verse twenty one, Psalms uh, chapter sixty six verse ten, Zechariah. Uh, Chapter thirteen, verse nine, and then a good old favorite, which will be Malachi. We'll get into in a little bit, chapter three, and I think that Malachi is really where Peter is drawing a lot of this from. But what it, what it, what he's referring to, and this is one of those echoes I was telling you about. It's a ripple or an echo from the Old Testament. Peter's reaching um, uh, uh, into the beginning. Parts of, our, of the foundation of the faith into the Book of Psalms and some of the other areas, and and bringing out this word py- that's translated into Greek as pyrosis, this burning ordeal. It's a metaphor about the refining of metals, um, and he's applying the concept of refining by the metals. In um, uh, to to the life of a Christian as as the fiery ordeals that we're going to be going through, and it's it's really kind of an interesting metaphor that Paul is trying or Peter is trying to bring in. Now we have to be very careful whenever we look at these metaphors not to over spiritualize things, um, and that's why when you're doing an inductive study, the best thing you can do is just read what it says and then start to go a little bit deeper in there and try to tease some of the stuff out, but never depart from the original intent, right? And that's the hard part is to find out what that original intent was. Um, So we know that Peter is not writing from any, because there's no, there's no evidence in history and there's no real evidence in the text that Peter is talking about any fresh um, increase in sufferings that are happening in the churches in Asia Minor that he's writing to. Um, in fact, he's just repeating language that he used from the first chapter um, in verses six and seven. Um, Peter is trying to sort of bring everybody back in. He's um, in preaching, we like to, to say what we're going to say, say what we, ha- uh, we say what we're going to say, say what we have to say, and then we repeat in the very end by saying what we just said. I know it's kind of confusing, but that's kind of the model that a lot of preachers use. And Peter is no different. He's just, he's, he's summing everything up, bringing it back into focus. And he's reminding the readers again about the, the, what the fiery ordeal's purpose is. The purpose is to test and refine our faith. And you say, well, why do we need to go through that? Um, If you look through the history of the church, the church has been built upon the blood of the martyrs. You go back from the earliest times in the days of Peter, Paul, James, John, the rest of the guys, um, you'll see that, that the foundation of the church was really laid with their writings, but just above that was the men and women that were willing to die horrible deaths for the cause of the kingdom of Christ, that's a powerful testimony. And people are are drawn to that um, that ideal, to be able to be willing to die for a cause. Um, and I think those are things that even to this day we tend to long for. Um, you look at the millennial generation that a lot of people like to, in many ways, disparage because they don't look at the world in in the way I do, because I'm not a millennial. I'm close, but I'm not really a millennial. And those that were older than me, um, they oftentimes have a level of disconnect with the millennial generation. But one thing that I've seen with these young millennials is a desire to connect to something that's bigger than themselves, um, to be able to make a difference in the world. Um, This is where a lot of the millennials live. This is one of the reasons why this particular passage and passage like this in the New Testament can be of great use when witnessing to people in that generation because it allows them to connect to a vision that's greater than themselves and that's what Peter is trying to say here he says look the 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 message and the the meaning of the gospel and what the church really is is far bigger than anything we can imagine and that in order to really refine us We have to go through that refiner's fire. Um, Now, Peter talks about, I'm just going to touch on this. I'm not going to dive too deeply this moment. But Peter sort of touches on this when he um, talks about in verse 17, the idea that there's going to be a testing of the house of God. Look what it says in verse 17. It says, for it is the time for judgment to begin with the house of God, the household of God. He's saying that it begins with us, right? We This testing, these fire, fiery ordeals has to begin with us because we have to have a rock solid faith that's been tested by the fires of persecution in order to be able to have a meaningful message to those that are outside looking in. Um, I, I said before in previous uh, messages that, that you ought to look at the Fox's book of martyrs. I tell you... There are some amazing testimonies in there of modern day um, martyrs that have gone to the point where they've been beaten and killed, and that individuals who uh, who watch this happen, and in some cases partook in the in the killing of of the of a particular martyr, only to be so convicted by their death that they come to Christ themselves. Um, a really good book on that is, I think it's called "The Edge of the Spear." or um, The Tip of the Spear. Um, it's a story of the missionaries that were down in South America that were killed, and the individuals that were part of that came to know Christ later um, as as because of that sacrifice and the willingness of the missionaries to stay on the field, the wives of those missionaries. Um, so we're saying that the, the idea here is that Um, that God is not punishing believers for our sins so much as he's allowing the suffering to purify the church. He uses it to provoke believers in many ways to make a clean break um, from the sin. And so judgment has to begin with the church. It allows it to be purified and to be holy and to be an offering that will be worthy of not only God, but that offering that's in view of mankind uh, to be able to give them a, a reason for what we're doing. So this is why God purifies his church. It's his church, not ours, um, and we need to be willing to. Now, in the same respect, um, you know, this purification process for those of us that believe it may get old. We may say, you know, Lord, enough. You know, we've we've gone through this enough judgment. We're ready to ready to get back to meeting face to face. We're tired of the, the virus. And if, if some people are thinking that this is a um, a form of judgment of God, and maybe it is, I'm not God. I'm not going to make that statement. Um, but uh, whether it is or not. Uh, we need to recognize that it's God's church, and He's going to do what He wants to with it. But think about this: if if we are in a place of righteousness, if we're in a place where God is using this as a refiner's fire to sharpen us, to make us stronger, to temper us in a world that needs it, what happens to those backslidden Christians, the ones that um, have have stepped away from the faith in in, in desperate need of, uh, of of real judgment? Imagine what this this kind of judgment is doing on them. I mean. I don't I don't consider myself um as somebody who's arrived. I don't consider myself as 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 righteous in the sense of anything that I've done. My righteousness comes completely 100% from Jesus in me and and what he's done in me, not what I do for him. Um, but it it drives me to want to work and strive hard for my God. And there are days when I think that I've really, I, I look back on it thinking, man, today's been a great day of ministry. I've really been able to do a lot of good things for God. Um, but the reality is um, that it's only through the testing and the purifying that that the worth and the value of the gospel message will come forward. Just remember that when you're going through these trials and tribulations yourself, and that's what Peter is trying to say. Um, but again, going back to what we're talking about—the original metaphor—we need to be very careful about overreading any metaphor, um, because when you do that, uh, you take a chance of of um, of overstepping the bounds. Um, and some theologians have talked about this. We really need to put this in light of the Old Testament background. In fact, I really think it's important that we look just for a moment at Malachi chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 because uh, what Peter is trying to do when he's connecting verse 12 to Malachi and he liked Malachi. We know that because he quotes Malachi a few times. Um, And so and this particular passage is probably the closest to um, what Peter is trying to uh, bring out. So in Malachi chapter chapter 3 verses 1 through 4, this is what it says. So the prophet in Malachi is saying, behold, I am, he's speaking for God. He says, behold, I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight Behold, He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of His coming? And who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and a purifier of silver. And He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, so that they may present the Lord offerings in righteousness." and the, then the lord offering uh, then then the offering of judah and jerusalem will be pleasing to the lord as in the days of old and as in the former years now malachi is writing um, to a people it's the last book in the, in the old testament he's writing to a people who have gone into um, into captivity about a future time when God will show back up in his temple now Malachi didn't know what he was writing about but he was really writing about jesus showing up suddenly in the temple Jesus quotes this i mean it's a powerful um, testimony peter is looking at this particular passage of Malachi as being fulfilled partially in the fact that Jesus showed up and now more fully as the and the persecutions that are about to take place in the lives of his people. So that being said, we're getting into the next uh, the next stage. Now, I will have some words that will be put up and I want you to uh, be thinking about it. In fact, you can look at these words right now. Some of the words that I've pulled out from the passage, uh, words like uh, periasmos, uh, which talks about temptations and trials. Xenos, which means stranger or foreigner. Xenizo, um, uh, which means to receive a guest, guest, guest or entertain, which uh, Peter's going to talk about in in uh, a little further in verse in chapter five, um, and I would encourage you guys to look at that. And then um, uh, one of the best. Phrases that I think you'll find in this is called um, "keryate um, uh, um It means rejoice and be glad, and that's what we're supposed to do when we are confronted with uh, the firing temptations: is to rejoice and be glad in that tempt, in, in that trial and that testing. Um, this notion of being um, of sac- being, uh, of suffering for Christ. Um, is, is a cause for joy, is a reflection of what we see in the book of Acts. Um, in fact, in the book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 41, it sort of brings that out. Um, and the purpose uh, is, is, is something. The purpose is introduced by a single little word that Peter uses called hina or ina. It's spelled H I N A. And it simply means so that, so that you might be overjoyed. And that's what Peter is trying to bring out with this understanding of uh, sufferings that we're going to be faced with, in um, the idea that he is going to, we're going to have the suffering, so that we said in verse thirteen, so that the revelation of his glory may you may rejoice with exaltation. That's a great level of rejoicing. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Um, by him because of the spirit of glory and of God that rests upon us. That's what Peter is saying. And so we see that notion um, that starts off when Peter says the word simply hina or so that. He's pointing this future glory, this future joy that's going to come out because of this. And we ought to be rejoicing now for what's going to happen in the future. Um, the idea that that as believers, we are to respond with any suffering that comes our way, with a level of joy knowing that it's all belongs to God and it's that intensity of joy that we have that's going to come out not only now but also in the future um, and it's reflected in those simple words rejoice and be glad um, these two terms uh, karyate, um, <laughs> agliomenoi um, and we see that echoed in what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 12 when he said, blessed are you when they persecute you and revile you. So this is a concept that was near and dear to Peter's heart and he wants to close out his teaching with the idea that suffering is going to take place. Now that's really the the, the beginning of this study and I've taken almost what, 20, 30 minutes to bring this out um, and I know that you guys can go into this much, much deeper than we have and I want to encourage you to do that. So hopefully the questions along with the passages of scripture that I've have given you, Proverbs, Psalms, Zechariah, Malachi, along with the words that um, we put up will allow you to be able to see more fully what Jesus wants you to get from this through Peter. Um, Peter was very close to Jesus. He spent a good deal of time to him. And so we, we can see that echoed, if you will, in his words as he's trying to reconnect with what Jesus had originally given us with the idea of persecuting that was going to happen on the Sermon on the Mount. So, um, that's uh, the thrust of this. I want to encourage you to continue to uh, read through to the final chapter of book of Peter, 1 uh, Peter. Look at the questions that I'm going to put in the comments and begin to ask these questions for yourself and see how the Lord wants to use this passage of Scripture um, so you might be a more fulfilled and, and fully integrated in life with him, which is the final and third stage of an inductive Bible study, which is the application phase. That's for you and the Holy Spirit to work out as you're reading the, these passages. So I'm going to leave you with that. I'm going to close in a real quick word of prayer. And again, I want to thank you so much for coming and joining with us tonight. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. We ask that you will continue to work with us as we seek to follow your will in your word, um, today, and this week, and in the days to come. Lord, again, we love you. We thank you. We just ask now that you go before us, keep us safe, and keep us focused on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, thank you for joining us in another episode of The Armchair Theologian.